ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله amma ba'd carrying on then with the supplications we were talking about various supplications that can be made during the prayer and the one that we're on right now is the supplications that can be made right at the end of the prayer before you give the final salam after the tashahhud and everything the supplications that can be done before the final taslim inna min almawatin allati yustahabb lil muslim an yataharra fiha addu'a fi as-salah ma bayna at-tashahhud wa at-taslim shaykh says one of the times or one of the places where it is recommended for a Muslim to use for the purpose of dua is after the tashahhud and before the salam, that final part of the prayer. فَقَدْ ثَبَتَ فِي الصَّحِيحَيْنِ عن عبد الله ابن مسعود رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم علمه التشهد ثم قال في آخره It is mentioned in the صحيحين in البخاري and مسلم from عبد الله ابن مسعود Radiyallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught him the tashahhud and then said to him at the end after teaching him the tashahhud said to him at the end thummal yatakhayyar min addu'a a'jabuhu ilayhi fayad'u then he should select meaning the person praying should select from the dua that which is most pleasing to him and make the dua. Meaning the dua that you require, the dua that is something of relevance to you, the dua that is pleasing to you, then at the end that dua that you find suitable to yourself and your situation and your needs, then make that dua. In the version of Muslim it says, مِنَ الْمَسْأَلَةِ Then you can choose whatever you want to make dua about. At the end, before the final salam. وَالْأَوْلَى بِالْمُسْلِمِ فِي هَذَا الْمَقَامِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ بِالْأَدْعِيَةِ الْمَأْثُورَةِ 
عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن دعا بأدعية غيرها غيرها لا محظور فيها فلا بأس بذلك Ideally in that time there you should do supplications that are in the sunnah that are already mentioned du'as that are mentioned in the sunnah you should learn some of those and use those ideally but if you were to make other du'a of your own there's no problem in that and it is allowed وَفِيمَا يَرِي ذِكْرُ وَذِكْرٌ لِبَعْضِ الْأَدْعِيَةِ الْمَأْثُورَةِ فِي هَذَا الْمَقَامِ So now the Shaykh is going to mention some of those supplications that can be done at the end there. One of them mentioned in Al-Bukhari and in Muslim Hadith of Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه he said that the messenger of Allah said إذا تشهد أحدكم when one of you has done the تشهد فليستعذ بالله من أربع then seek refuge in Allah from four things then seek refuge in Allah from four things يقول he says اللهم إني أعوذ بك من عذاب جهنم ومن عذاب القبر ومن فتنة المحيا والممات ومن شر فتنة المسيح الدجال that I see, O oh Allah, indeed I seek refuge in you from the punishment of Jahannam first, the hellfire, and from the punishment of the grave, and from the trials and tribulations of Life and death وَمِنْ شَرِّ فِتْنَةِ الْمَسِيحِ الدَّجَّالِ And from the evil of the trial of the Dajjal وَقَدْ ذَهَبَ بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ إِلَى الْقَوْلِ بِوُجُوبِ هَذِهِ الْإِسْتِعَاذَ قُبَيْلَ السَّلَامِ وَجُمْهُورُ الْعِلَمَاءِ على أنها مستحبة وليست بواجبة. There is an opinion of some scholars that it is obligatory to read this du'a at the end of the prayer. Obligatory to do this du'a at the end of the prayer after the tashahud and everything before giving the final salam. But the majority of scholars, their opinion is that it is mustahab. It is recommended to do this dua at the end before the final salam. So what does it mean, this particular dua? Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adabi jahannam. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you 
from the punishment of Jahannam. Jahannam meaning the hellfire. And this is the first thing that is mentioned. Then there's the punishment of the grave and the Dajjal and life and death and everything. But the first thing is I seek refuge in you from the punishment of the hellfire. Why is that the first thing mentioned? Exactly. Because it is the worst punishment from them all, the hellfire one. That is the ultimate punishment. That is the greatest punishment. The hellfire, the punishment that a person, a mushrik, will remain in for ever. So there is no greater punishment than the punishment of the hellfire. And Jahannam, they say the meaning of the word Jahannam, it has a root in the meaning of darkness. That Jahannam, its root meaning comes from darkness. And so the hellfire for the kuffar, it will be darkness upon them. So that is the first thing because it is the greatest punishment. Then after that, وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ That you also seek refuge in Allah from punishment of the grave. We know the punishment of the grave is established and proven in the Qur'an and Sunnah. In the Sunnah, for example, what example can somebody give us proof about the punishments and blessings of the grave? Uh-huh. So there's that hadith when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam walked past two graves. Marra al-Nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam biqadarayn faqal innahuma layuhadzaban. He walked past the two graves and he said these two are being punished. So therefore that's obviously a clear evidence about the punishment of grave. There are other evidences affirming the punishment and the blessings of the grave. Then after that, min fitnatil mahya wal mamat, the trials and tribulations of life and death. From all of the different types of tests and calamities and trials and tribulations a person faces in life, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for refuge and protection from those trials and tribulations of life, but also al-mamat, seeking refuge in Allah from the trials and tribulations of death. Because at death, there are trials within it. As Shaykh Al-Ithaymeen, he mentioned, one of the trials of death is that when a person is dying, 
the last moment comes to him. Hmm? Angels, they come to take his soul, but who else comes to him? Shaitan. Shaykh al-Faymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentioned that in the final moments, shaitan comes to a person. And says what to him? That shaitan comes to a person in the appearance of the person's parent's father, in the appearance of the person's father. So that person is on his deathbed in his final moments and he thinks he's seeing his father when it's actually shaitan. So then the shaitan speaks to that dying person pretending to be his father and says to him, My son, I have realized that the truth is in Christianity or in Judaism. Trying to convince that dying person to apostate at the final moments. Trying to convince that person to apostate at the final moments. Tells him that I've realized the truth is in Christianity or I've realized the truth is in Judaism. So quickly change now before death. Tries to convince that person. So that is certainly a trial of death. That a person in that state Dying final moments may not be very clear about things and this test or trial comes and perhaps somebody falls into apostasy in that final moment. That's what it seems to indicate, but it doesn't matter. It just means that when a person is dying, shaitan comes looking like your father, for example. So when he talks to you, you listen, because you think it's your father talking to you. Your father might have already died even. But when you're on your deathbed and you're not thinking straight, in your final moments, you see that and you think it's your father. And then your father's telling you, Islam is wrong. I've realized now Islam is wrong. You need to be Christian, you need to be Jew. So that person now in his final moments becomes confused and maybe an individual ends up apostating. That's like it's mentioned in the hadith. That maybe one of you, you do all of the actions of the people of paradise. You're upon righteousness. Until there is nothing between you and paradise except an arm's length. But then the book, the decree overcomes and you end up doing some actions of the people of hellfire. And you end up in the end, hellfire, the last moment, apostating, committing some shirk. So, that is one of the trials 
that may occur to a person that the shaitan comes in that form. So that's what you say, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in the trials and tribulations of life and death. Trials and tribulations of life and death. And then the fourth thing mentioned is from the trials and tribulations of the Dajjal, Al-Masih al-Dajjal, that trial that will occur for the people at the end of time when the Dajjal exits. And when the Dajjal exits, that is one of the signs of Awa and the word Dajjal, what does it mean? A liar, you could say even more than that. Dajjal means a bit more than liar. Dajjal, the word comes from Dajjal, which means to lie. But Dajjal upon that pattern in the Arabic language isn't just a liar, it's an excessive liar. Because that pattern in the Arabic language indicates excessiveness. So you have a liar, and then you have a big liar. That's what the Dajjal means, an excessive liar. Excessive liar. Dajjal. That pattern indicating excessiveness and great amount of lying. So that is what it comes from. Also, Al-Masih. Why is he known as Al-Masih? Masih al-Dajjal. It could be because he is one-eyed and his other eye is like deformed and wiped out. And so he is known as Al-Masih. Masih meaning like wiped. One eye is like deformed. So maybe that's why it's known as Masih. Also, there's another explanation. Another one of the meanings of it is wipe. That's what we mentioned briefly now. But the other meaning as well means to, to uh, cover areas, to go across areas. So the Dajjal is going to go across and get to a lot of the places upon the earth. But he's not going to be able to get into Mecca and Medina. So maybe that's why he's known as Al-Masih. Because one of the meanings of that in Arabic is somebody who covers a lot of area, goes in a lot of places. So he is Al-Masih al-Dajjal. And he is one of the signs of the hour. In fact, from the major signs of the hour, what is the first major sign of the hour? First major sign of the hour that's going to happen. Blowing the trumpet, that's, that, that happens to signal, as a signal, day of judgment is starting. Before that, before 
the blowing of the trumpet. So the signs of the day of judgment come, then at the end is the blowing of the trumpet and day of judgment. So those signs of the day of judgment, what's the first peak sign, and the, the major signs? Sure, we were talking about this just a few weeks ago here. Huh? Mahdi, you're right, but it's not mentioned as one of the major signs of the hour. Dajjal itself? Dajjal. Dajjal is the first major sign of the hour. The coming of the Dajjal. Before that, the Mahdi comes. But the signs of the hour are the amazing and strange affairs. Mahdi is not an amazing and strange affair like these things. Mahdi is a man who will come. Dajjal is a bit different. Gog and Magog is different. The return of Isa, is, these are amazing affairs. So they say those final signs of the hour, the ten signs of the hour, are the amazing signs that occur. Mahdi comes, you're right. Something which occurs, then it's the major signs that occur. Dajjal is the first. Huh? Exactly, yes. Absolutely. So when the Mahdi comes, the coming of the Dajjal is very soon after that. Then what's the second major sign of the hour? Zuj and Zuj, Gog and Magog, and also second and third, Isa alayhi salam. Isa alayhi salam, and then Gog and Magog two and three. Then after that, all of the other signs happen, and there's no order for them. There is no order for what is number four, what is number five, what is number six, nothing. Number ten is the fire, gathers the people to the land of resurrection. Dajjal, how long will he stay on this earth when he comes? Forty days. What will those forty days be like? Forty years? One day is like forty years? One day is like, so it's forty days, but one day is like a year. First day is like a year, Second day like a month, third day like a week, then the other day is just like normal days. How long does that add up to altogether? Days? Give us in year, months, weeks. One year, two months, one week. One year, two months, and one week. Two weeks. Go on. Great, did you get in maths? So the first day, the first day is like a year. So definitely one year. The second day is like a month. So definitely one year, one month so far. Third day is like a week. So definitely so far, one year, one month, one week. The rest of the days, how many days left? 37 days, they are like normal days. How many weeks is 37 days? But the days, if it's, uh, it's difficult to work out on days. Easier to say one year, 
two months, two weeks. One year, two months, two weeks. That's the easy, the, the, the way that people work out things. So remember, one year, two months, two weeks. One year, two months, two weeks. That's what it works out as. Even though it mentions 40 days, the first day is like a year. The second day is like a month. The third day is like a week. And the hadith says the third day is like a Jumu'ah. That doesn't mean Friday, it means a week. And then the days after that are like the normal days. So that is one of the things that you seek refuge in. Uh, seek refuge in Allah from the Dajjal. Then also it's mentioned in Al-Bukhari and Muslim from the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha. أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يدعو في الصلاة that the Prophet used to make the dua in prayer اللهم إني أعوذ بك من عذاب القبر وأعوذ بك من فتنة المسيح الدجال وأعوذ بك من فتنة المحيا وفتنة الممات اللهم إني أعوذ بك من المأثم والمغرم فقال له قائل ما أكثر ما تستعيذ من المغرم فقال إن الرجل إذا غرم حدث فكذب ووعد فأخلى والمأثم هو الأمر الذي يأثم به الإنسان من جميع المعاصي والذنوب والمغرم ما يلزم الإنسان أداؤه بسبب جناية أو معاملة أو نحو ذلك فالمأثم إشارة إلى حق الله والمغرم إشارة إلى حق العباد. Another type of dua that the Prophet used to make at the end, is that, Oh Allah, indeed I seek refuge in you from the punishment of the grave. And I seek refuge in you from the trial of the Dajjal. And I seek refuge in you from the trials of life and the trials of death. Then though, another line, I seek refuge in you from Al-Ma'tham and Al-Maghram. And then somebody said to the Prophet ﷺ, you make dua seeking refuge from Maghram so much, all the time. So the Prophet ﷺ said, if a man ends up in this situation of the Maghram, we're going to explain that in a minute, then he speaks and ends up lying, he makes promises, ends up breaking them if he gets into this maghram situation. So that's why he always used to seek refuge from it. So what are these two things? The ma'tham is basically sinning, all types of sins, that you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from the sinning, to protect you from all the different types of wrongs, wrongdoings and sins. That's the ma'tham. The maghram is to ask Allah to protect you from basically falling into debt in giving the rights to the people in what you owe them, maybe because of some transgression you've done against them, maybe because of some oppression you've done to people, or some dealing that you had with somebody, so now you owe them, you're indebted to them with rights you have to give back to them those types of situations come on people then they start lying they start breaking their promises to get out of those situations so the prophet used to make dua asking allah to protect him from the sins 
and wrongdoing, but also to protect him from these situations uh, with yourself and other people, and the rights of the people and taking the rights of the people wrongly, etc. Question? English translation. So the first parts are all the same. O oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the punishment of the grave. And I seek refuge in you from the trial of the Dajjal. And I seek refuge in you from the trial of life. And from the trial of death. O oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the ma'tham was all about the sinning and the maghram which is all about the rights of the people and getting into wrong with regards to that and then at the end somebody said to the Prophet you often so much you seek refuge protection from the maghram getting into wrong with the rights of the people you have to give back etc transgression oppression the Prophet said, if somebody falls into that, they end up lying, they end up breaking their promise, and it becomes a severe situation. So he used to seek refuge in Allah from that. Then, another dua which can be done at the end. These are some of the ones that are not so well known by the people. Those first two, especially the first one, is the most common. Then these are the du'as not known as much. But here's another example, hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib in Sahih Muslim, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say, just before the final taslim, after the tashahud and everything, Allahumma ghfir li ma qaddamtu wa ma akhartu. Oh Allah, forgive for me what I have done, put forward, and that which I have done or, or going to do or done in the past. Wa ma asrartu wa ma a'lantu. And that which I have kept secret and that which I have made open and public. وَمَا أَصْرَفْتُ And that which I have gone into excess with. وَمَا أَنْتَ أَعْلَمُ بِهِ مِنِّي أَنْتَ الْمُقَدِّمُ وَأَنْتَ الْمُؤَخِّرُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ And then it mentions وَمَا أَنْتَ أَعْلَمُ بِهِ مِنِّي This is an indication that Allah is all knowledgeable of everything you have done, that you are all knowledgeable of all of my activities and what I've done secretly, privately, publicly, back in the past, in the future. That you are the one who will either aid whom you will, or you will deprive those whom you will of aid. You are the one who aids and assists, and you are the one who will deprive some of aid and assistance. La ilaha illa ant. There is no one deserving of worship and truth except you. So that is another dua. Allahumma ghfir li ma qaddamtu wa ma akhartu wa ma asrartu wa ma a'lantu wa ma asraftu wa ma 
أنت أعلم به مني أنت المقدم وأنت المؤخر لا إله إلا أنت So I seek refuge or I, I ask for forgiveness for what I have done past and future and what I have kept hidden or open and where I have been excessive and that which you are more knowledgeable about than me things that I've done and you are the one who aids and you are the one who may hold back that aid from some and there is no one deserving of worship in truth except you. Also, another example. وَقَدْ جَاءَ فِي السُنَّةِ أَحَدِيثُ مُشْتَمِلَ عَلَىٰ أَدْعِيَةُ قَالُوا فِي الصَّلَةِ وَلَمْ يُبَيَّنْ مَحَلُّهَا There are some narrations that mention some du'as that are supposed to be said in the prayer, but they don't mention where in the prayer. والأولى أن تكون في أحد موطنين إما في السجود أو بعد التشهد. And more than likely where it's supposed to be is either in the prostrations or in this time at the end before the salah. There are du'as mentioned that are supposed to be done in the prayer but it doesn't mention in the hadith where in the prayer. It's likely going to be then either in your prostration or at the end before the final taslim. An example of one of those that is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim hadith of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu annahu qala lil-nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam allimni dua an ad'u bihi fi salati teach me a dua that I can say in my prayer all he said قُلْ سَيْ اللَّهُمَّ إِنِّي ظَلَمْتُ نَفْسِي ظُلْمًا كَثِيرًا وَلَا يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ فَاغْفِرْ لِي مَغْفِرَةً مِنْ عِنْدِكَ وَارْحَمْنِي إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Oh Allah, I have wronged myself a great amount. I have wronged myself and transgressed against myself tremendously. And nobody forgives the sins except you. So forgive for me a great forgiveness from yourself and have mercy upon me. Indeed, you are the one who is the all-forgiving, the all-merciful. So that is another example of a dua that can be said at the end of the prayer before the final taslim. So that is a few examples. A few examples of certain types of dua that can be said at the end of the prayer uh, before the final taslim. That now brings us to the next section which is going to be the duas that are said. After the taslim, the du'as that you now make, after you actually finish the prayer. So, we'll have a look at those then. Al-hadithu huna sayakunu anil adhkar allati yaquluha al-muslimu idhan sarafa min salatihi ba'da salam. Ba'da salam. Wa qad jaa fi hadha ahadithu adidah. So there are many narrations, many hadith about the du'as you're supposed to read after you finish the prayer. Assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum. 
finish the prayer, now what are the du'as you're supposed to read? There are several narrations about that. Minha ma rawahu Muslim fi sahihah an Thawban radiyallahu anhu qal kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idhan sarafa min salatihi istaghfara thalathan wa qal that the Prophet sallallahu when he finished this prayer he would seek forgiveness three times istaghfirullah 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 and then he would say, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta dhal jalali wal ikram. That is one of the, that is one of the uh, du'as that a person says after the prayer. Qala al-walid, ahadu ruwat al-hadith, ahadu ruwat al-hadith. Al-walid, one of the narrators of this hadith, he said, فَقُلْتُ لِلْأَوْزَاعِي That I said to الْأَوْزَاعِي كَيْفَ الْإِسْتِغْفَارِ How do you do this seeking of forgiveness? قَالْ تَقُولْ He said, you say, أَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ أَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ أَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ You say it three times. أَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ أَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ أَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ So here then, what does this dua actually mean? Allahumma anta salam That our Allah, you are as-salam As-salam is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala One of the perfect and beautiful names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is as-salam And the meaning of it is the one who is free of any imperfection Free of any deficiency. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free of any imperfections or deficiencies upon His attributes that are attributes of absolute perfection. And He is free of any type of comparable or equal. Allah is free from any type of resemblance to anyone in His creation. So, Allahumma anta as-salam. Wa minka salam And from you comes the salam, the safety and security. That you are the one who provides us that safety and security from destruction and from the evil affairs. Tabarakta dhal jalali wal ikram. Tabarakta, that you are blessed, meaning you are the most high and the most great. Tabarakta, that you are the blessed, i.e. the most high and the most great. Tabarakta. Al Jalali wal Ikram, the one who has Al Jalal and Al Ikram, and these are two attributes indicating the greatness of Allah, the might and the majesty of Allah. The might and the power of Allah, Al-Jalal, Wal-Ikram, the greatness and nobility of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wal-Hikmatu min al-Ityani bil-Istighfar ba'da salah hiya idharu hadmin nafs wa anna al-abda lam yakum bi-haqq al-salah wa lam yakti bima yanbaghi laha ala al-tamam wal-kamal 
بل لا بد أن يكون قد وقع في شيء من النقص والتقصير والمقصر يستغفر لعله أن يتجاوز عن تقصيره ويكون في استغفاره جبر لما فيه من نقص أو تقصير So what is the reason why you say Astaghfirullah straight after the prayer? You've just prayed. Why are you going to say Astaghfirullah straight away? I seek forgiveness. Why are you going to seek forgiveness straight away? You just pray. That's reward. No. You seek forgiveness straight away because there's bound to be some deficiencies in your prayer. It's bound to be some deficiencies and shortcomings in your prayer. Didn't do it absolutely perfect. So after the prayer, you seek forgiveness from Allah for any shortcoming or any deficiency that might have occurred. And that is very similar to when we were talking about the other chapter. When you come out of the bathroom, you say, Ghufranak is mentioned in some narrations and that's for the same type of reason. Because when you've been in the bathroom, it's been a deficiency from you. You couldn't do any dhikr. You couldn't do any remembrance. You seek forgiveness from Allah. Hmm. Absolutely. Even the Prophet ﷺ used to say it. And he used to say it on top of that to teach everybody else to say it. Even the Prophet ﷺ always used to seek forgiveness from Allah. Some narrations it says more than 70 times a day, more than 100 times a day. Lots of times in the day the Prophet ﷺ would seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his shortcomings. So that is the opening section about the du'as after the prayer. There's a few more yet, plenty more yet. We'll uh, start with those then inshallah ta'ala from the next lesson next week at 7 p.m. insha'Allah ta'ala. Also before we forget, remember on March the 30th, three or four weeks away, is a conference in Liverpool. It's going to be a conference in Liverpool on March the 30th, final Saturday of this month. So that week all the other classes are going to be cancelled. It's just going to be one big conference there. So put that into your diaries. March the 30th, Saturday, will be a conference in Liverpool with several speakers for the du'ad Saturday, 30th of March. The posters are outside, one day after. Posters are outside, you can take those as you go. So, we'll round off on that for tonight. Any more questions or anything? One full day, yeah. No, it is not mentioned that you raise the hands in these supplications, in these remembrances. It is not in the sunnah to raise the hands to do these supplications. These are done without the raising of the hands. Not allowed to raise the hands doing these supplications. There is no sunnah to raise the hands in doing these supplications. Question here says. Is a mom allowed to hit a child really hard with a stick? Is a mom 
allowed to hit the child really hard with a stick. He got beaten up. Sent the question here. Maybe it's one of the elders, their mother who's 80 years old. May Allah give her long life. He's beating up the 40 year old son. Ah. So it is not allowed. It's not allowed for parents to beat up their children really hard with a stick. Not allowed. And in this country as well, I don't know the recent latest laws, but as far as I know, it is illegal according to the laws of this country, as far as I know now, to hit children, for parents to hit children. I think it's illegal. So if that is the case, you're supposed to live by the laws of the land as well. As long as it doesn't oppose the Sharia, does it oppose the Sharia to not hit your children? Is it obligation to hit your children? Of course not. So you should live by the laws of the land and obey the laws of the land. So parents shouldn't hit their children. Shouldn't hit their children, especially how it says like this with a stick, very hard. And that is not something that should be done. The Prophet ﷺ mentions how he never had to speak like Anas narrates. The Prophet ﷺ never raised his voice even with the kids, the way he used to teach them and explain to them. So a person needs to use methods of education and methods of making the child understand controlling the affair without getting into a situation of beating and sticks and anything like that. That's not permissible. So it mentions about teach them when you are seven years old about the prayer and hit them at ten. That narration there allows the permissibility of doing so, but it doesn't allow beating the kids up with a stick very hard. That is an indication of giving them tarbiyah, some, uh, you know, like a, they say, a slap on the wrist. You heard about that type of thing, the phrase, they call it a slap on the wrist. So you give the children those slaps on the wrist, that isn't illegal, in the country even. You give them those slaps on the wrist, and that is allowed and no problem even by the law of the land. To teach them and tell them you've got to get up and pray. The, as they say, the flick on the ear, the slap on the wrist, these types of phrases they have. You can do that type of thing. After three years, but inshallah, that as well, if it is needed. Inshallah ta'ala, you give the tarbiyah to your children, you don't even need that. They are praying. That is only if it is needed. Inshallah, it is not needed. The children, they learn and they, they understand and they pray. We'll uh, get to those topics, but yes, after the Imam finishes the prayer, these initial supplications he can do facing the Qibla. Then after that, he should turn around to face the people, that is from the Sunnah, what the Imam does. Uh, those ones are going to come to you. You can do that one as well after the prayer. There's, there's many more yet. We only just started yet. These questions about other du'as, you can save them. We'll cover them next week. Next week and the week after the other du'as, we're going to do them more yet. That as well also will come because right now we've only done these opening ones. 
These opening ones are typically the opening ones. The only difference being one other you could say comes even before these, which is to say the takbir. There are narrations about doing that even before you get into these that we mentioned today. But otherwise, these are typically recognized as the opening du'as after the prayer. Then there's a few others we're going to do next week and we'll have a brief look at if there's an order or not to it, inshallah. But it's mentioned in uh, Sheikh Al-Albani's book and Sheikh Al-Thameen's book. And the Prophet's prayer described. You should try and get those books. They're in English. Useful books to have. If you're going to spend your money on other things, it's better to spend your money on books. Buy books and have books. Have a library you can refer back to and read to in chapters and things. All the kids, everybody, save up your pocket money and buy books. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that too. That is an issue as well. Do you do this dua out loud or is it quiet? There are evidences established that indicate it is something which is said verbally, heard by others, not quietly to yourself only. There are evidences establishing that it can be done out loud verbally, that it's heard and it's not done quietly to yourself. Mm. Alright, we'll have to leave it there. We'll do, we'll do, inshallah. What the actual takbir? If you want to do those topics, we can do all that type of thing as well, but then that's, it does go slightly more into fiqh issues. It's going to go slightly more into the fiqh issues rather than just the du'as as the du'as. But you can do a few of those things if you want. Whoever has the copies of those books, bring them. If you've got copies already, Prophet's Prayer described of Shaykh al-Albani or Shaykh al-Thaymeen, bring those next week too. And we can have a bit of a look at those topics as well about the taslim, the different versions of the taslim that can be done, and a bit more about the fiqh of the du'as after the prayer. We can do all of that, no problem, inshallah. Inshallah. All right, next week then.